This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences shows us how much we really have in common. I'm Condice Presley. To be a great leader, you must be able to unite people from all backgrounds with seemingly competing agendas to come together under a common cause. Those words from my guest today, former New Orleans Mayor Mark Morial, the current president and CEO of the National Urban League. Those from his new book, The Gumbo Coalition. Mark, thanks for joining us. This book, 10 Leadership Lessons. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Yeah. 10 Leadership Lessons that help you inspire, unite, and achieve. Aren't the times we're in right now more characterized by a desire to make folks weary, to divide and defeat us? And these are times when leaders are called to lead. It's in a crisis uh, when leadership cream moves to the top. And uh, my book, uh, which talks about many of the experiences I've had in leadership, uh, a number of the, uh, the, the chapters relate to crises, the crises of public safety and police corruption in New Orleans that I faced when I took office the challenges that the nation's cities faced after 9-11, the opportunity and crisis of the Great Recession and how African-American leaders would uh, interact with and position themselves relative to a new and historic president in President Obama. Uh, Many, many crises, uh, they make the leader in many instances and rising to the occasion in a crisis is what people expect today. And so we see uh, from the president to the governors to the mayors, we see examples of fumbling and stumbling. Uh, We also see examples of strong, resolute leadership uh, uh, on display and people want leadership. They want direction, they want vision, they want execution. Uh, And so my book uh, tells stories from my life, uh, both uh, as a young man, as a young boy growing up in New Orleans to uh, to a young lawyer doing uh, activist work, to uh, an elected official as a legislator and as a mayor, and now uh, as a leader of a national civil rights organization. And so anyone that wants to lead, I'd recommend the book. It's not a textbook. It's a it's a book of, uh, of real life lessons, real leadership stories. Uh, and I talk about challenges that I encountered, and I talk about mistakes that I made. Uh, and so uh, in these times, people want, they respect, and, and I think they're looking for strong leaders. So what is a gumbo coalition as you describe it? So a gumbo coalition is really uh, the word I use to describe my multicultural political coalition uh, when I became mayor of New Orleans. New Orleans is a majority African-American city, but also a city made up of many diverse communities. We, a Latino community, uh, an Asian American community, primarily Vietnamese. Uh, we have people of all religions, backgrounds, orientations. Uh, and Gumbo captured what we were trying to build, which is a multidimensional coalition. And people know Gumbo's a New Orleans dish. If you don't know the dish, there are many ways to make Gumbo. And Gumbo is also a dish where adding new ingredients sometimes makes the Gumbo better. So you never really finish making gumbo because you can always add something extra. You can make it with shrimp. You can make it with crabs. You can make it with chicken. You can leave the seafood out. You can add okra. You can make a vegetarian gumbo if you want. Uh, there are many, many ways to make gumbo, but it always starts with a roux. 
And a roux is brown, but it starts with white flour and also with uh, golden oil. Uh, and you mix it together and you have a roux. And that roux, uh, and I call the roux of my gumbo the African-American community, which was the base of my political support. And from that base, we built a very strong coalition. So in this book, uh, it talks about building movements, building coalitions, building uh, work teams that are diverse and why you're much stronger when you do that. And it also sets the template of really a vision I have for the future of this nation. And that is a nation that's going to be a multicultural democracy, a multi-religious democracy, a multi-racial democracy. Uh, as America evolves, as demographic change comes, and as we become a community and a nation that has no dominant ethnic group. In this work, what strategies do you recommend when the coalition encounters opposition? Well, when you encounter opposition, sometimes you can convert the opposition to become supporters. Sometimes you have to build and work through and work around or work over uh, the opposition. So one should not not suggest that coalition building is uh, the pursuit of unanimity. What you try to do in coalition building is build as large a support base as you can. And what it's predicated on, it's predicated on making sure that there are conversations, making sure that there's an effort to find common ground. If you cannot find common ground, sometimes you must move forward without common ground. Sometimes if you cannot find common ground, the realities may say your initiative, your plan is doomed. Uh, I believe in planning. I believe in over-communicating. And, and as a public official, I always felt that I should appeal to the people. I should appeal to the general public. I should appeal to them. I should explain my initiatives, uh, promote my initiatives, uh, uh, encourage support for my initiatives. Uh, the, 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 the theory of it being that they would put pressure on others, on interest groups and leaders to support my initiative. So every initiative I believe, and I call it the doctrine of over-communicating. And that means you communicate more than you think is necessary. You communicate clearly, you communicate repetitively. Uh, so when I did initiatives, there was always a communication component. There was an internal communication component, there was an external communication component. It involved media, it involved face-to-face -face interactions, every major initiative. So in any instance, when you are leading and, and leading and you have an initiative, you have a plan, you've got to communicate it. Are you trying to sell? Are you trying to persuade? Yes, you're trying to sell and you're trying to persuade. And in selling and persuading, you're trying to get co-owners uh, to a plan. Uh, but truly, I talk about instances in the book where I made decisions that did not turn out well. And I had to pivot, modify, change. So a wise person changes, a fool never, is one of the chapters in the book. And it talks about how sometimes circumstances that you face against a incredibly well thought out plan requires shifting, requires modification. I talk about not being paralyzed by the unexpected. Uh, I was one of the first mayors, well, actually the first mayor to follow a lawsuit against the gun industry in 1998. Uh, the gun industry came at me with such ferocity, such power, such invective, uh, that I was not fully prepared for it. 
and I was like a boxer who went out in the first round and got staggered in the first 30 seconds of a fight and had to compose myself, rethink myself, and develop a response plan on the run. Uh, and my learning was I did not have an effective communications plan before going into something I felt very strongly about. So in the book, we talk about stories like that. There are many, many powerful stories in there. And uh, I learned from so many people. I learned from parents and grandparents. I learned from community leaders, coaches and teachers. I learned from people who were not the high and mighty uh, by observing them and by listening to them. And so uh, I hope people will think about the Gumbo Coalition, available through HarperCollins, now available online, and certainly when the bookstores open, available in bookstores near you. So, Mark, I wanted to ask you, when did words like negotiation and compromise, especially when we look to our leaders in Washington who are elected to govern us as a nation, when did those become such dirty words and hard to achieve? I uh, don't know, and that's a that's a perfect question. When did it become uh, such dirty words? I think the polarization uh, at the national level particularly owes to people's loyalty to party, this notion of a political party, this notion to some sort of uh, ideology. And we seek, you know, we no longer respect uh, those members of Congress, uh, like a Ted Kennedy, who was a passionate progressive, a passionate people person, but who had understood the art of compromise. Like Bob Dole, right? Bob Dole was a, was a moderate to conservative Republican, but he understood the art of compromise. Uh, all issues cannot be compromised. Many issues can uh, be compromised. Today, it seems as though when people even bespoke the idea of compromise, they are selling out. Uh, it's, it's, these are the times in, in which we live. And part of it is uh, uh, people believing that they've got to stand on principle, but sometimes principle is, 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 is exaggerated. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we still, for example, in the Justice and Policing Act, which passed yesterday uh, on the floor of the House of Representatives, I think there were four or five Republicans that crossed over uh, and voted for the bill. That's a good sign uh, because it means that they had the courage and the conviction to buck party orthodoxy to support something that I think is good for the nation. What has been your reaction to the social justice protests that we've seen in our streets in the wake of George Floyd's murder? There's a wake, an awakening taking place uh, in white America. There's an awakening taking place across the board. The protests are multicultural. They're multiracial. Uh, corporate leaders have stepped up. They're increasing their philanthropy. They're asking what they can do. Question, is this a moment or is this a movement? You know, my, my hope and prayer and my work is that it's a movement. It needs to be a movement. We can't change the intractable issues of uh, structural racism and exclusion with a moment. It will require a movement. So let this moment be the beginning uh, of, a, of a movement. And I've seen and I've witnessed, and I think many have seen and witnessed, but you, you wonder because the cynical side of you says, oops, may this 
will this simply be momentary and then people will go back to the same old same old ways but the young people own this movement this is their movement this is their expression uh many say this is our statement about what kind of nation we want we do want a nation where we can be anti-racist we do want a nation uh where we could be uh a strong uh proponents of eradicating this nation of structural discrimination and racial injustice in all of its vestiges. How can the young leaders of this movement grow and make sure that it doesn't stall out with the things that you talk about in your book? I think that uh, so importantly, they've got to continue the protest movement, and and they've got to trans. We've got to transition the protest movement. Not transition it, but it has to be inclusive of voting. It has to be inclusive of impact at the ballot box because it is through impact at the ballot box that you get policymakers who are going to be inclined to carry out the change we need. Protest has to lead to policy change, and policy change comes through political participation. That's fundamental. That's basic. That's democracy. And this is a time when we have to push democracy and test democracy. It is of no value to protest and then stand on the side and not vote because it ignores the fact that it takes policy changes, changes in the law, like the Justice in Policing Act, like raising uh, the minimum wage, like changing the way we finance schools, like closing uh the gap in the healthcare industry, all of these, all of these. How do you build those coalitions, especially around voting, as you said, when you take a look at what happened here where I am in Georgia, and then with all of the precincts that were closed this week in Kentucky? It's an outrage to see what has happened in Georgia with the purging the game playing. Well, let me tell you, that has happened because the mighty and powerful Voting Rights Act was gutted by the Supreme Court. Had the Voting Rights Act not been gutted by the Supreme Court, Georgia would have needed permission and approval from the Department of Justice to change a polling place, even one block, to uh, initiate purging uh, at the time in which they did, we lost in the public policy arena. We've got to go back and we've got to pass a new Voting Rights Act. We have to pass it because, and we need to create it, make it stronger and better because what's happened since 2013 when the Supreme Court decided the issue, the case of Shelby versus Holder, which was a challenge to the pre-clearance provisions or the pre-approval provisions contained in the Voting Rights Act is that uh, all hell broke loose. Uh, the, the alligators came out of the swamp. The voter suppression alligators, the voter deception alligators, the voter dilution alligators, the voter purge alligators, they've come out of the swamp. In state after state, in county after county, city after city, we need the machete of a new Voting Rights Act to conquer these alligators. They've been unleashed on the, on the proud and precious system of voting 
with the decision of the Supreme Court in Shelby v. Holder. Let's understand, this was enabled by a Supreme Court decision. And it gained momentum, it gained currency, and it gained, it gained legal legitimacy because of the actions of the Supreme Court in 2013. And the only way we can reverse that is we need a Congress, a House and a Senate, that will not drag its feet, that will not be dilatory, that will pass a new Voting Rights Amendment Act, and a president who will sign it. And yet, even as we are having this conversation, Mark, this administration is asking the Supreme Court to outlaw the Affordable Care Act. And we're in the middle of a global pandemic. It is an outrage with so many Americans losing their health care due to joblessness. With so many Americans desperately needing access to health care to save their lives that this administration would join in another cynical effort to basically snatch health care coverage away from 20 plus million Americans. It's a moral outrage. And how, what are your thoughts on the fact that in the midst of this pandemic, where more than 100,000 lives have been lost, more deaths are expected, the simple act of wearing a mask while in public, has become a political statement. Well, we can see, and we're a witness now, to states like Florida and Georgia, whose governors ignored CDC guidelines, whose governors ignored the best advice of public health experts, and just willy-nilly opened their states. Now they've got spikes with thousands of people and tens of thousands of people being infected. The arrogance has led to people being hurt. People being hurt. And it's a tragedy in 21st century America that there could be so much hostility to medical science. So much hostility to medical science. Medical science has helped us as a nation go from a nation where the life expectancy rates were in the 40s, 40 and 50 year, years of age in 2000 to where we are today. Medical science, medical discoveries, biomedical research. How can there be such a hostility to something so basic? How are you and the Urban League working in communities across the country to build, as you've written about in the Gumbo Coalition, these coalitions that will inspire sustainable change in our communities? I've got a talented group of local leaders. I've got we've got people like Nancy Flake Johnson in Atlanta, Sadiqa Reynolds in Louisville, Judy Reese Morse in New Orleans, uh, Teddy McDaniel in uh, in, in Charlotte, for example, James Perry in Winston-Salem, uh, J.T. McLohar in Columbia, South Carolina, Karen Freeman Wilson in Chicago. I've got a talented group. We've got a talented group of uh, local leaders, Urban League affiliate CEOs, who are, who are skilled and trained at being advocates and coalition builders. Uh, and it's a stronger group as ever to run Urban League affiliates stronger group. We've got the wisdom of the elders, and we have young people's energy. We have emerging new leaders. We have more women 
than ever. Uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of the National Urban League movement. The Gumbo Coalition. Who do you want to read your book? Who is it written for? Is it written for a particular audience? It's everyone? For, I tell you, it's written for anyone who wants to be a leader, anyone who is a leader, or anyone who's a student of leadership. So you could lead a church, you could lead a community-based organization, you could be head of a division or a department or a unit. Uh, anyone in a leadership role, anyone who aspires to a leadership role, my hope is that young leaders, aspiring leaders, emerging leaders. It's also, I think, a book of anyone who's interested in the history, uh, some of the history of the last uh, 20, let's say 20 to 30, 30 to 40 years in America, uh, because I think I capture the essence of growing up uh, as, as a black boy in the South. Uh, just the schools are integrated, living in, a, in an all-African-American neighborhood and then going, crossing through a ditch to go to an all-white neighborhood to go to school. Uh, it's, it's the story and the formation of my life and, and the fact that I was required, like, like many in my generation, to live in two worlds. It was the world of my neighborhood and my family, which was predominantly all-African-American. There was a world of the schools that I went to, which were predominantly white. And I had to learn to live, navigate, and, uh, and, and be comfortable uh, in, in both worlds. And it's influenced who I am and how I think about things today. If there's one grand takeaway you want readers to have from your book, The Gumbo, Lo the Gumbo Coalition, what would that be? That takeaway would be to be an effective leader, you have to plan. You have the fundamental issue is you have to plan. And you have to be persistent and passionate. So maybe it's three Ps. It's planning, it's passion, it's persistence in order to be able to achieve a goal. The book is The Gumbo Coalition, 10 Leadership Lessons That Help You Inspire, Unite, and Achieve. The author is the president and CEO of the National Urban League, former New Orleans Mayor Mark Morial. Thank you for making some time to join us in Atlanta. I really appreciate speaking to you. and Thank you so much for a great, great conversation today. Be blessed. Be safe. Thank you. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.